reading from Luke chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And they said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished. Prepare it there. And they went and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. That scene that Luke has recorded for us is played out in millions of Jewish homes for thousands of years and was done in strict accordance with the instructions that God passed to Moses in Exodus 12. Those instructions were given in preparation for the most momentous night in Jewish history, the night when God would visit one final cataclysmic plague of judgment on the Egyptians. As the Egyptians had taken the lives of Jewish boys in an infanticidal effort to subject the population, God would take the lives of the firstborn in all of Egypt, from firstborn of livestock and wild beast, from firstborn of slave and master, from firstborn of pauper and Pharaoh. If we return to those instructions, we can see that Christ and his disciples were being guided very closely by them. In Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 3, we see God's Word record for us this, "'Tell the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household.'" And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month. When the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. So four days before the events of Luke 22, Jesus and his disciples would have purchased a lamb for Passover. For four days, they would have fed it and cared for it, knowing that at twilight on the fourth day, sometime between three and five, they would take the life of the lamb and in accordance with the instructions that follow in Exodus 12, roast it on an open fire and consume all of its edible parts, leaving nothing, but reserving the blood. And with that blood, in accordance with Exodus 12:7, they were to do this. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And in accordance with Exodus 12, 13, 
they were to reserve that blood for this purpose. It would accomplish this. Verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So get this. The people who painted the blood of the Passover lamb over the doors of their homes would be spared the judgment befalling the world around them. Thus, under the protection of shed blood, Israel was able to eat a meal that looked forward to the deliverance that God would bring them. Judgment would pass over them. Thus, the name, and not through them, and not through their homes. What was the significance of the blood? Why would the Lord spare those who had been covered by it? For one simple reason. As a reminder, that deliverance comes with a cost. The book of Exodus in our Bibles is followed by the book of Leviticus. And Leviticus is essentially a book of order that sets forth the guidelines for the proper observance of the feasts and festivals and sacrifices that exist in Jewish life. Interestingly, it comes immediately after the description of God inhabiting the tabernacle in Exodus chapter 40, and we are told that any time God's glory descended on the tabernacle, not even Moses could enter it. And this raised a very real and practical problem for the people. This God, whose, whose glory not even Moses was permitted to see in its fullest extent, had instructed that this tabernacle to be his home was to be placed in the precise middle of Israel's encampment. In other words, God's house was in the middle of a group of people who had already shown themselves prone to rebellion and would show that rebellion time and time again. The practical problem is this. How can anyone survive if a holy God is their next-door neighbor? Leviticus provides the answer. Blood. We can but scratch the surface of this far, far deeper topic this evening. But Leviticus chapter 7, verse 11, goes a long way toward an explanation of the blood's significance sacrificially. There it says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement for life. The logic is simple. The blood represents the evidence of life. The penalty for sin is death. So in order for sin to be atoned for, a life must be offered. And that's why the people of Israel, under the blood of a Passover lamb, were spared. It was the penalty of sin being paid for. Substitutionary blood had meant that God was not overlooking their sin as if it never occurred. He was passing over their sin and judgment. 
because the price for that sin had been paid, which takes us back to Luke chapter 22. After we read from Luke earlier, I said that the scene recorded for us there was not unlike the scene that is played out in millions of Jewish homes for thousands of years. A lamb was at the ready, a meal was prepared, and Jesus and his disciples, along with thousands of others in Jerusalem that evening, ate the Passover meal. In that sense, it was nondescript unremarkable, completely ordinary. But then Luke zooms in on some of the details. In verse 14 of Luke 22, he records for us, and when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The ordinary ritual of the Passover, the rhythms of which these people had, had come to expect for year after year after year were upset by Jesus' identification with the ritual itself. And really more than just an identification, Jesus upset the ordinary ritual of the Passover by claiming to be the fulfillment of it. The cup that had always reminded the people of their preservation from God's judgment in Egypt is, Jesus is saying, a shadow of that of which he is the object. His blood, his life would be poured out so that God's wrath against our sin would pass over anyone who by faith placed their trust in Jesus. Jesus is claiming something extraordinary. He is saying, I am the Passover lamb. He is saying, I am the Passover lamb. Now, we have every reason to believe that all of what Jesus was saying that night was completely lost on the disciples. They had come to Jerusalem expecting Jesus to assume the throne of David, to overthrow Israel's enemies, to avenge Israel's abuse, to make Israel great again. They had no idea, no idea what Jesus was saying as evidenced by the argument at the table among them immediately after what I just read about who's going to be greatest in the restored geopolitical Israel that Jesus had come to Jerusalem in their minds to establish. But what the disciples missed, we celebrate tonight. Tonight we behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John 1, 29. Tonight, with the throng of heaven, we cry, worthy to the Lamb of God. Why? For you were slain. 
And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. This lamb's death is not a testimony to our worth, though it is because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we were made alive together with Christ, Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. No, the death of Christ... The Passover lamb, the bloody death of the Lamb of God on a rugged wooden cross, the self-giving sacrifice of God is a testimony to the infinite outrage of our sin, and it's a front to God's holiness. Only the death of God the Son could appease the wrath of God the Father against our sin and secure us by God the Spirit as His children. The Jews remembered a night of deliverance from Egyptian slavery because of our sin and what we deserved. We remember so much more. And so tonight, we unapologetically remember vividly before we rush to the joy of Easter morning, we are T-boned by the atrocity of our sin And we force ourselves to come to grips with an impossible notion, the cost to God himself to cover that sin. We sing songs reminding us of his suffering. We listen to lament telling us of his innocent sacrifice. We gather in increasing darkness to feel the weight of our sin that made the cross necessary. Tonight, we remember somberly It is not our intention to manipulate or play upon emotions with tonight's service. It is our intention to remind American Christians convinced of our own absolute worth and drunk on spiritual entitlement that we deserve hell. And the only reason that hell isn't in our future is because the full fury of hell was visited on Christ in the past On our behalf, tonight we remember that our sins were not overlooked. They were passed over by the virtue of God's blood. And because of that tonight, we are brought together to remember gratefully. We're not here to remember our guilt. We are here to remember that were it not for the Christ of the Passover lamb, we would have no hope. Paul states the reason that that is true in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But our goal tonight isn't to leave you there in verse 23 with that thought. The goal tonight is to help you gratefully remember what comes next in Romans Three and its cost for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, verse 23, but verse 24, and, and are justified by his grace as a gift 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Uh, It means a, a substitute for us by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over. That's right in Scripture. He had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might just be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. There's a lot of things that are true about Derek Lynch. But the most true of all of them is that I am a hell-deserving sinner who is bound for heaven because God paid his own price for my admission with his blood. Good Friday services aren't packed like Christmas Eve services. This is a great attendance, but... When it's all put together, it's less than half of who were here Christmas Eve. They're not packed like Christmas Eve, but they should be. Because Christmas wasn't enough to secure heaven for me. His life, his miracles weren't enough to secure heaven for me, but his death It was enough. It always has been, and it always will be. Our sin is an outrage. But what Jesus did on the cross is enough for the wrath of God that our sin deserves to pass over us. And Jesus knew that, which is why he said, These simple words at the cross's bitter end. It is finished.